Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, we are we have looked at the church of Ephesus last week. Today, we will look at the church in Smyrna. Um, Smyrna is kind of an interesting city. Um, it was constantly in competition with Ephesus to be the best city in Asia. Um, one thing that you'll often find uh, when you when you when you go back and you look at look at different things like this, some of the things that we think of today that are new and novel and we thought up of ourselves, uh, you actually find them thousands of years ago. And Smyrna is one of those places that you kind of find some of this stuff. First of all, there's that inner city rivalry with another big town nearby. Ephesus, um, we talked about last week, was right down here. If you go up one of the main trading routes, you get to Smyrna. So Smyrna is here. Um, John is writing from down here. There's Smyrna. It's in, it's in a port. You can kind of see the port there. And so there's a lot of traffic that comes through. It's along a major trade route. And so they are kind of a big city. Um, sort of an Indianapolis, if you will. I said last week that Ephesus would be like Chicago compared to the New York City of Rome. This would be your Indianapolis right here is Smyrna. Um, so it's a pretty big area. Smyrna was actually a city uh, that was destroyed 580 years before Christ was born. So 580 BC, Smyrna is destroyed. But then it was rebuilt. And it was rebuilt about 290-ish um, by Lysimachus was, was the chief architect. And what I was saying about um, things that we think are novel that we came up with, we think we came up with a master plan community. Have you ever seen any of those? Like where the, where the whole town is planned out. So we know where the shopping malls are going to be. We know in advance where the homes are going to be. And we know how everything is going to fit together. It's all planned out. That was the city of Smyrna. They planned it out before they built it in 290. And so by the time that they built it, um, the, it was all designed, master planned. And so it was one of the, one of the most beautiful cities of its day. This is some of the same, you can see all the modern stuff in the background, but some of the ruins there. Go to the next picture. The One of the biggest things that was there was called the Agora, and the Agora was so big it was multiple levels. So there's a basement level, and you'll see in just a second a picture of that, but up on top is another level of the Agora. There'd be the floor there, and then go to the next one, and there's the... the oh, no, never mind. Sorry, I didn't give you the, the bottom one. That's my mistake. That's That's my fault. But down here are arches that go along the way. And you can see arch after arch after arch, row after row, all of this supporting what would be a floor um, with on top of it a massive agora, a meeting place and a, a place of worship. Smyrna was one of the earliest places to get involved in emperor worship. And that's the next picture. The next picture is a bust, a, a, a statue of one of the priests of the emperor cult. First, it was under Tiberius. Later, it would be under other emperors as well. They worshipped the emperor really strongly in Smyrna, in part because, well, they wanted to curry favor with Rome. And one of the great ways to do that is to buddy up with the emperor. You know, it's it's um it still happens today, doesn't it? Whoever's in charge, there are people that try to buddy buddy up with them so they can get favors and so they can get good treatment and that sort of thing. And that's exactly what they're doing. They also had statues to the goddess of Rome and of other deities as well. 
But this is the area, this is the city of Smyrna that the early church of that city found itself in. And you know that if you have a city that is encrouched in emperor worship and it's all about all things Rome, that this group of people that refused to say Caesar is Lord would not be welcomed very well. And they sure weren't. Look with me in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Pray with me. Father, I pray that as we open up this letter to Smyrna and to its believers, believers that were embroiled in persecution, Father, I pray that you would apply the words to our situation I pray that we would find truth that transcends the ages and is just as strong, just as capable, just as important today as they were to the first century Smyrna believers. Father, I pray we would take your words to heart, we put them into practice, and we live them out. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Smyrna is, um, as I've said before, it's a city that's vying for first place in its region. And so this church in this city was going through a lot of troubles, a lot of persecution. Jesus introduces himself by calling himself the words of the first and the last. We've already seen that a couple of times in Revelation. Back in Revelation chapter 1, John hears the words of him who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And remember what I said, it doesn't just mean first and last, it means everything in between, doesn't it? So he is saying, not only am I the first and the last, but I'm everything throughout. So the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Now, why would he call himself that to this church? Why would Jesus say, I'm the one who died and came to life? Well, it's because the city died and came to life, didn't it? In 580, when the city was destroyed, it died, so to speak. And a couple of hundred years later, it was resurrected, if you will. It was brought back to life in a new way. That's This city, when they would have read that, when they would have heard those words... The believers in this city would have found a, a particular, a, a particular truth in that that many others couldn't have. Cities that had been in, in existence for long, long periods of time, some even a millennium or more, couldn't, couldn't quite understand this the same way the Smyrnans could have. They knew Christ as the one who died and came to life just like their city did. And just like their city had found the promise of new life and where there was once ruins, where there was once nothing but destruction, 
So too they realized that in Christ they had more than what was looked to be ruins and looked to be destruction. They were with their backs against the wall facing severe persecution. And the only thing that that could really help them, the only thing that could help them get away from the despondency and, and the depression of being alone and being about to die and being persecuted and tried and going through tribulation, the only thing that would help them is to see beyond the problems into what lay beyond. And what Christ does is He shows Himself as the one that lays beyond. The one that, the one that is beyond their persecution, the one that is above their persecution, the one who died and who came back to life, the first and the last. He's speaking specifically to them. This is something that is so incredible to me that Christ can speak into a particular situation. There's no one size fits all with Jesus. If you remember the story of Lazarus' death in John chapter 11, Jesus comes to Martha and Martha starts a theological discussion. She says, Lord, I don't understand. I can't wrap my right mind around this. Jesus, Jesus comes to her with the saying, you know, in, he will be resurrected. He doesn't come at her with, I'm so sorry for your loss. That's not where she is. She's trying to wrap her head around it. So he engages her mind and helps her see beyond the pain. But yet when he sees Mary, he takes a totally different approach. He doesn't talk to her first. Well, look at it. Look, look, turn back to John chapter 11. I mean, let me show you what he does. John chapter 11. Oh, by the way, this is that conversation with Martha is where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's so great because Martha's like, oh, I know that in the last day. And, and, and Jesus is like, no, no, Martha, you don't get it. I am the resurrection and the life. One of the greatest truths that Jesus tells, he tells to a grieving woman who's trying to wrap her head around the situation. But then when he comes to Mary, Mary comes to Jesus, she falls at his feet, says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? He immediately meets her where she is. She could care less about understanding why. She's not trying to wrap her head around it. She's trying to wrap her heart around it. And what does he do? He meets her right there. He grieves with her. And a couple verses later, openly weeps. He doesn't try to get into theological discussions. That's not, that's what, not what she needs. That's something that I love about Christ is that he can take that situation and he can see that individual and what the needs are and he can meet that need specifically. And that's what we're finding in Christ with this church in Smyrna. What he's doing is he's looking at them and he's saying, you need someone who's beyond this affliction. You need someone who's above this tribulation. Someone who goes well past it. Someone who can help you see over the mountain in front of you. So he says, I'm the first and the last. I am the one who died and came to life. For these particular folks, that's what they needed. Listen, as he continues... Verse 9, I know your tribulation. The word here does not 
you, it may translate, uh, you may have a translation that says afflictions. It's actually a singular word. It's a very massive trouble. Think of it that way. It's one huge, big, fat, hairy problem. This isn't little tiny things that nip at your heels. These aren't little, little annoying dogs that just keep barking at you. No, this is one massive pit bull staring you down and he's drooling and he's ready and you know you shouldn't have come into this yard because that pit bull is not going to let you leave so easily. This is a big problem. They are face to face with a massive problem. Sometimes we pass off persecution as though it's all these little things. Sometimes we think of little things as persecution. Oh, well, I didn't, I couldn't get a good spot at the grocery store the other day. That's persecution. No, that's not persecution. That's not what this group is facing. Let me tell you what would happen to someone in that day who wasn't worshiping the emperor. Okay? Let me just lay this out. In order to get a job, you had to have connections, right? It's still true today. You really got to have connections to get a job. Most people don't get jobs by cold interview, walk in with your resume and get hired. Most people that get jobs have some sort of connection. Either they have the connection already or they have a more indirect connection and they say, oh, well, I know a guy. Let me show you this guy that I know. That's how a lot of people get jobs. That's how it worked then. Except then, it wasn't just personal connections, it was with the guild. But to be in the guild, oftentimes you had to do what the guild did. And that often meant worshiping what the guild worshipped. Now, how many Christian guilds do you think there were? None. These folks probably had a hard time finding jobs. That's why when he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. He's not saying they're physically rich. No, 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 they're physically poor. They can't find work. It goes beyond that. It's not just you can't find work. Who wants to do business with that person who, who doesn't admit Caesar as Lord? Who doesn't worship all the other gods? You know what they called Christians in the first century? Atheists. Because they didn't worship the gods. They said there's only one God. You may as well have no gods if you only have one God. You know what else they said? There were, there were rumors that went around that Christians would take babies off of streets, which we did. Christians actually rescued babies that were left to die out in the streets. But they, they had rumors Christians would then eat those babies in their communion meals. Not true. Those were the rumors. Now, you, where does this come from? It comes from a hatred of Christians. They're upending society. They're turning all kinds of things around. They won't worship our gods. I mean, what if the gods get mad because of them and strike us down? That's how they viewed Christians. And so you couldn't get business. You couldn't, you couldn't get a contract with someone because you wouldn't profess Caesar as Lord. You wouldn't worship a certain deity. You couldn't get into the guilds. Nobody would want you around. I mean, you were, you were the sore spot. People treated you like an outcast. Especially in a city like Smyrna, where they are trying to curry the favor of Rome. You better believe nobody in Smyrna wanted this little group. I don't know how many Christians there were in Smyrna. I'm not sure. 
Um, I'm not sure how big the church was, but I can guarantee you it wasn't massive. They weren't having TV services, multiple services on Sunday mornings because they couldn't fit everybody into their stadium, their giant auditorium. No, that wasn't the problem in Smyrna. No, in Smyrna they were probably meeting in secret most of the time. That's what this group was facing. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation. I know your big, fat, hairy problem. And I know your poverty. But you're really not poor. Oh, you are poor. You don't have much, but you have enough. And you have more than enough. John uses a particular word for poverty. There's two ways you can say someone is poor. You can say someone is poor, like they don't have they don't have excess of anything, like like they're barely scraping by kind of poor. And then you can say they're broke. He uses broke. Nothing. There's not a penny in the bank. There's no food in the pantry. They can't even afford to keep the lights on. They are broke. And yet, they're rich. Many think that the Smyrna's poverty, this is according to a commentator, was in part due to a pillage of their goods by the Jews. Christianity was not legally permitted. So not only do you have a problem with the Romans, you've got a problem with the Jews in the city too. You could not legally be a Christian. The Romans made exception for Jews, but in this case, the Jews were separating themselves from Christians. They're not one of us. No, they're not one of us at all. In earlier times, you could get away with Jews and Christians all being kind of in the same mix, but not anymore. Now they're left to fend for themselves. But Christ says, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, here's the problem, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do you remember... Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees said something about God being their father? And you know what Jesus responded? No, you're of your father, the devil. I don't think Jesus is talking about people who are simply devout Jews. I think he's talking about those that claim to be Jews but are doing Satan's work. Maybe they're ethnic Jews, but... Not religious, I, I, that, that one's probably not. I'm thinking these are the guys that have set themselves up against Christians. Guys like Paul used to be, who, who would look around for Christians to persecute, who would travel from place to place. These are the kinds that would spark a mob every time Paul would go somewhere to preach. These are the kinds that would, that would stone a man who was preaching the gospel of Jesus who would start riots to get the Romans involved. That's these kind of Jews. They're not really Jews. They're really, well, Satan worshipers. They're really following Satan. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that have a lot of good intentions that are really following Satan. Verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Boy, isn't that good news. 
What if God just, just suddenly spoke directly into your heart and says, do not fear what you're about to suffer? What would you start doing? Fearing what's to come, right? <laughs> Don't fear what you're about to suffer. I think it's interesting. Why not? Because I'm the first and the last. I'm the one who died and came back to life. I go beyond your suffering. I'm not limited by what you face. I'm not limited by your limitations. I'm not limited by the things that that uh, imprison you, the things that trap you, the things that hold you back, the things that prevent you from seeing beyond. I'm not limited by any of that. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to face. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Some think this refers to a specific thing. Um, that ten days could just be a short period of time. It seems rough. It's only been seven days since, in Carrie's words, our toilet exploded. No, it did not explode. Just the pipe going into it. But, bad enough as it is, it's only been a week. Seems like a lot longer, doesn't it? Yeah. By the way, this isn't related to the sermon. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all are absolutely incredible. For ten days, you will have tribulation. This big hairy problem has an expiration date. That's why we don't fear. Oh, it seems like it's forever. Some of us live with a tribulation that's a lot longer than ten days. It's more like ten years, a twenty, a thirty. Some of us live our whole lives with some sort of trouble, some sort of problem. Maybe it's a physical impairment or maybe maybe it's an emotional impairment. Maybe it's a... I don't know what it is. It might be a particular relationship that's really bad that you cannot get away from no matter how hard you try. I don't know what it is. It may be memories. It may be something that happened a long time ago that, that you can try to forget about it. You can try to forgive yourself, but you just can't. But it does have an expiration date. Not my Jesus. He goes beyond it. Be faithful unto death. Can I say, can, can I change the words slightly around this? Uh, be faithful in life as well. I've known some people who are brave enough to jump in front of bullets, willing to die for something that mattered whether it's family or whether it's for whatever. Secret service agents are willing to die for the person they're protecting. And I've heard it often said, are you willing to die for Christ? Maybe a better question is, are you willing to live for Him? But he says, be faithful unto death. Because some of them will face death. Some of them will be imprisoned. Some of them will die. This persecution is going to wreak havoc. And if they are not ready for it, if they are not ready, they're going to find it really hard to be faithful. So he prepares them. He says, be faithful unto death. Be ready. Whatever the call, whatever the cost, be ready to pay what it takes because I matter more. Does he matter more? Or does he only matter as long as it's not too expensive? As long as I don't have to pay too much. I'm afraid that 
I'm afraid that sometimes we overvalue how much we value Christ. And I mean that by saying, sometimes I think if we really take stock in our life, we find out we don't value Him as much as our words seem to claim. I pray that's not the case with you. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you a crown of life. On the Sumerian coins was a crown. They worshipped the emperor, and so they put a picture of the crown right there on the coin. And it's almost as if he's saying, I've got a better crown. A crown that won't disintegrate, won't tarnish. A crown that you won't leave behind when you're gone. Many people fight for what they leave when they die. They spend their lives trying to accrue things that will not pass their death with them. Christ calls them to be faithful to Him to death, knowing that their reward actually begins where most rewards end. He who has an ear, Raise your hand if you have an ear. Raise your hand if you have two. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Let him hear. Listen to what he said to the church. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Oh, it's true. We all die. And we all deserve death. The wages of sin is death. And if you do lousy work, you get a lousy wage. That's why the wages of sin is death, because it's lousy work. So you get a lousy wage for it. But the one who conquers, the one who's faithful to death, the one who remains true, will not be hurt by a second death. There's a death coming that you cannot avoid, but there's a second death that you absolutely can't avoid. Because of Christ, we do not have to face two deaths. Yeah, we'll face one. And that's bad enough as it is. That's the only one we'll have to face in Him. And you know the cool thing? He faced that one and then lived through it. He died and came to life. So will we. Stay faithful. There are, I don't know what's going to come. I don't know days, months, years ahead of time. I, I can't even tell you 10 minutes from now. Um, I'll probably still be here talking to folks. I can pretty well guarantee you that. But that's about it. But I can tell you this. I can tell you that I have the ones the words of the one who is the first and the last. I don't know the tribulation. I don't know the, the persecution. I don't know the trouble. I don't know what's coming. I don't. I could try to guess, but that would be about as accurate as the weatherman, and we know how accurate weathermen are. But I do know. I know Christ. And I don't have to know what comes next. I know what comes at the end. 
I know that when I die, whenever that may be, I know that I'm going to be getting a crown of life. And I don't say that because I'm awesome. I say that because He is. Church, be faithful. Be faithful. Don't quit. God's got a lot of work to do. Otherwise, He'd just take us home. But we're still here in this heat of Alabama summer that it's technically fall, but it's not fall at all, is it? We're still here. And if you ain't dead, you ain't done. You might be close to dead. You might feel like you're about to be dead. But if you're not dead, God's got more work for you to do. Be faithful. Stay the course. Pergamum, or Smyrna, excuse me, is one of two churches. We're doing Pergamum next week. Smyrna is one of two churches, along with Thyatira, that do not get a scolding from Christ. They're the two of the seven churches that are praised and not reprimanded. Both of them face persecution. Even if God decides that we are to be persecuted, He will do it for His glory. Be faithful. And watch God do amazing things. And even if you don't get to see the amazing things, He's doing them. You just stay the course. Father, I pray that we would be faithful in the midst of whatever comes our way, whether it's trials or whether it's comfort, whether it's difficulty or whether it's ease, whether it's what looks like cursing or what looks like blessing. God, we recognize that you are doing the work. That when you bring persecution, that oftentimes it is to make your church better, to make them more faithful, to make them stronger. Oftentimes it's to demonstrate the witness for those who need to see it. There are so many people who have died for their faith that we can point back to and we can look at as models in times of persecution. There are so many that we can look at who were apologists, who are standing for your truth in the midst of a world of chaos and a world that was like, a, like, like playing on a playing field where they're starting on the low end and, and the whole field is an uphill climb. Father, we recognize though that when you do these things, it is not because you hate us, it is because you love us, and it is not because you want us to fail, it's because you want us to succeed. And you are bringing out in us that faith that, that works so miraculously that it, it brings us into congruence with your will. So Father, I pray, no matter what may come, no matter how difficult it might be in days ahead, I pray that we be faithful. That we be people of faith that do not quit, do not surrender, do not yield. But keep pressing on for your glory. The one who is the first and the last, the one who died and who came back to life. We pray these things. Amen. We will see you again on Wednesday. Come hungry. Miss um, Farrell told me this afternoon um, we're planning some different kinds of chili. So 
So you'll have some choices. I know difficult decisions ahead, so pray about those. Uh, <laughs> but they'll all be really good. The difficulty will be which one or, you know, what are you going to fill up on? Because they're going to be good. So We also have not a whole lot of dolls left. So um, if you haven't gotten a doll, you need to hurry up because they're about all gone. Um, if you have gotten one... Um, I pray that it'll be a blessing to you and to anyone that you may be planning to give it to. Um, I've heard some plans already. Some folks got some for nursing home patients and um, others that they know of. So that's wonderful. So you let us know. Let us know how that goes. I know. I know. um, I know. We'll be glad to. We'll be glad to share those stories. And as always, uh, if you have pictures, if you if you take pictures of people getting the dolls. You can send those to me, and we'll put those together. I do have a couple of clown pictures, um, but y'all don't trust me with them, apparently. You know, if you just send me a copy, I won't I won't be able to destroy the original, so you can send me. Are you collecting them, too? Are you? No. <laughs> but um, anything else that you know all right. Okay. Um, if you'll let Melissa know, we've had some. Yeah, and if you forgot to give this morning, you can still give change. We've got the bucket still out. So, um, All right. Then y'all get out of here. <laughs> Have a great week. Let me know if I can help you.